<laughs> yeah. So what's up, man? How's your morning? Pretty good. Pretty chill so far. It's uh, 10 a.m. here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so yeah, I uh, woke up, ate breakfast. Um, usually, like during my breakfast, I'll like watch some YouTube, educate myself, and then I'll spend that time, yeah, just chilling, relaxing, learning, and then um, uploaded my podcast this morning, and then scheduled that for later this week, and yeah, just planning some content out for the rest of today and the rest of this week, I suppose. Yeah, how's your morning going? Good, man. Are you um, who are you watching on YouTube these days? Um, <laughs> so lately a lot of Greg Doucette, although I've been trying, trying to kind of like wind down and tune down on that a little bit, just because of like his channel isn't really educational anymore. And personally, I like, I like to spend my time educating myself. I like to receive some sort of value out of the stuff that I'm watching. So yeah, I like returns on it. Like I don't like to watch a lot of stuff just for pure entertainment purposes, just because I don't feel like it's a good use of my time and I don't really receive any returns on investment on it. Uh, so yeah, but other than that, like I've been watching um, a lot of like Josh Weissman, uh, like Ethan, like Chip or something. I think the last name. Oh, those, like, those two guys are like cooking, cooking guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you getting more into cooking? Um, I wouldn't call myself a chef, but like definitely just like, it, it's cool stuff to learn. And then, yeah, usually like it, it's applicable for me because like on the weekends, I kind of like to like cook a little bit, spend a little bit of time, just like, you know, not eating like bro meals, not, not eating like chicken breast, like veggies and whatever and egg white and stuff. So, yeah. And I know you're originally from Hawaii, bro, but I got to say mm-hmm. this, Hawaiian food slaps. Like it, like it's so good. Hawaiians have figured this shit out to where like they can make simple protein, rice and vegetables or like some potato mac salad, like all that stuff. Like I go to a local Hawaiian spot here and I'm just like, I'm just like, dude, it is so good every single time, dude. I love, uh, you know what my favorite thing is, man, is like poke salad. Oh, dude, I, I love poke. Poke is so good, dude, and um, it's like you can get uh, a. It's pretty good macros, you know, especially if they mm-hmm. if they make it good with like you know they'll use a little bit of mayo in the sauce. I think is it like a sriracha mayo? I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah, good. yeah. So there, there's sriracha mayo. There's like a shoyu version, which is basically shoyu is just Japanese for soy sauce. So that that one is, I think, it's a little bit better than macros just because soy sauce is just soy sauce and there's like a little bit of sesame oil in it. So you get, you get a little bit of flavor, but without like all of the extra like fat and stuff from mayo. But if you do want to just like splurge and go for it, then I, I personally love the, the sriracha mayo a lot more. Yeah. But yeah, if you're trying to kind of like watch your macros, the show you one is definitely a lot of flavor in, in it, but without like a ton of extra fat. Yeah. Which is helpful, especially if you're dieting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, man, Hawaiians have it figured out. And I've noticed like since I've been on this surplus uh, the last like six or seven weeks, like I've been just hammering in the rice and Mm -hmm. I'm somebody who like, bro, I have always eaten rice, but like over the last few years, for some reason, I like cut it out of my diet. So it's like it, it just hasn't been as much of a part of it. Probably because I'm like, you know what, I could get so much more volume from something like fruit or popcorn or like a wrap or something like that. So, you know, kind of cut rice out. But since I've been in a surplus, like just pounding in the rice, um, dude, it feels incredible. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, dude. Like, I I don't know why people will say like, oh, rice is so filling or whatever. Like I grew up eating rice, like for like literally most of my meals just because I'm Asian. And like, I don't find rice filling at all. I can easily pound down like three cups of rice. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So dude, it yeah. never like makes me carbs. full. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I never get full from rice. I, have you ever looked into um, the, oh, what the fuck is his name? It's pretty much like a bodybuilder who came up with this diet protocol for um, for bulking. And mm-hmm. and so I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about. Derek, more plates, more dates. He follows it. 
Oh, oh, um, oh, I, I know what you're talking. Is it called the vertical diet? Is that it? Yes, the vertical diet. Yeah, yeah. So it's like stand efforting or something. Yeah, stand efforting. That's who it is. So yeah, yeah. In that, he he has a bunch of rice and like ground beef. He makes this thing called the monster mash, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much like I think it's chicken broth and rice and ground beef and some vegetables, and you just cook it in the instant pot. And it's it's like very, very easily digestible and there's a ton of micronutrients in it because there's like bone broth and uh, obviously the ground beef has a ton of micros and then you're getting the vegetables. But it just makes it all much easier to digest and assimilate those nutrients because you're cooking it in broth and then he recommends you like go on a 10 minute walk after each meal. So I've kind of been doing some of that stuff. And just been noticing because I was having some digestion issues as any time I'm in a surplus, you know, there's going to be some mm-hmm. digestional issues. And I want to address those because I want to make sure I'm getting as much nutrition as I am from the f- extra calories that I'm getting in. So I started following that. And like just I think just the 10 minute walk after meals helps so much with digestion and just with like supposed to help with your uh, ability to. Uh, assimilate the insulin from the food that you're eating as well so like it'll help you with um basically not creating such a large insulin spike like going on a short 10 minute walk i haven't looked into the science behind that but Mm -hmm. uh apparently it helps with that yeah yeah i i've heard like yeah i don't have any like scientific evidence to back so but i've heard like from a lot of other cultures like non-western cultures they will literally go like on walks after their meals so I think there's something to be said in terms of like anecdotal evidence in like other cultures for that. Yeah. And it's been, it's been, uh, dude, I gotta say, and I was reaching out to you and, uh, and Andy this morning, Andy couldn't make it on the podcast this morning. Um, but yeah, he, he'll be here next week. Um, so it's just me and Austin this morning, but I was, we have a little WhatsApp group chat and I was messaging Austin and Andy and I was like, Hey, because I, I don't have, I'll be honest, I don't have much experience with being in a surplus for an extended amount of time. And so I messaged the group and I was like, hey, you know, if I'm up, if I'm up like a pound so far for the last week, um, is there anything I need to do? Do I need to adjust calories? Do I need to make any adjustments this week? Do I need to reduce calories a little bit? Because, you know, we want to be gaining anywhere from like 0.2 to 0.4 pounds per week and I'm going at a little bit faster of a rate obviously trying to minimize the amount of body fat I put on in this surplus but I didn't realize this but I've also been just recently started taking creatine again and I know that creatine in the past has made me gain multiple pounds of extra water weight so I was like oh fuck that's probably why but Cause I haven't been like going crazy over my calories. Like there's been a couple of days where I went over for sure and just kind of been looser with tracking, which happens when you're in a surplus trying to dial that back a bit. But, but yeah, so I'm like, why am I up fucking two pounds this week? And I'm like, Oh shit, I've been taking more creatine. So yeah, that's kind of, that explains that I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And like, there's also something to be said Um, this is like a huge mindset component. Like what I've seen like in both clients and just like people I see in the internet is like either people take like the extreme approach and like dirty bulk and like, you know, everything goes out the window. They eat as many calories as they can to try and pack on as much weight. And then they kind of fold themselves into thinking, Oh, all this weight's going to be like extra muscle gain. When in fact, like <laughs> muscle is only synthesized at a certain rate. And so all the extra weight you gain is fat. Or people get so obsessive obsessive with it that they they're scared of like getting into that slight surplus. They think like, oh, if I go over by an extra like one, two hundred, three hundred calories, I'm gonna all of a sudden I'm gonna gain a bunch of fat out of nowhere. And so they start to like dial calories back. And then next thing you know, like they are more often than not in just maintenance or even in a slight deficit. And then this kind of is an obstacle for them in building muscle because they don't get into that required like energy surplus in order to build muscle. Right. So it's kind of like a hard game to play. It's like, it kind of messes with your mind. And especially like a lot of us who uh, get into these surplus phases, 
a lot of people initially start at that fat loss phase. Like they've lost all this weight and it's like, okay, cool. I've lost all this weight. It's like, now what do I do? I want to improve my physique. So a lot of people say, Hey, you have to get into a calorie surplus. And then it's kind of a mind, like the slippery slope mindset that they think that, Oh, if I like, if I'm not careful with this, I'm going to gain all this weight back, which is like, you know, their worst fear because this is where they initially started from. So, right. And from what I understand as well, it's like, even at a higher body fat percentage, you're going to look much better if you pack on some muscle, you know, spend that time in a surplus, pack on some muscle, somebody with 20% body fat, but they have a lot more muscle, they're going to look a lot better than somebody who has very little muscle who's at 20% body fat, they're going to have more of that skinny fat look, somebody who has more muscle is going to, you're probably going to think that they're at more like 15% body fat, but really, they're probably at 20 just because they've spent that time to pack on more muscle and so i'm trying to be intentional you know this morning Mm -hmm. i was like i was like thinking about it i was like do i want to go on a mini cut for the summer or do i want to just keep my head down and go full bear mode this year and uh you know what man like i haven't fully decided i might go on like a four-week mini cut before the summer but um but i want to spend the majority of this year in a surplus and really challenge my beliefs and my mindset around like even my body image, you know, just because I used to be a big boy. Like, you know, I was, uh, I was 250 plus pounds and I'm only five ten, five nine ish. Um, so, you know, that's, I'm, I'm at 178 now. And I started this, I ended this cut at around 173. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of weight to lose, you know, 250 to 173 is a lot. So I can't really like change my mindset around that overnight. Like I had to be in a deficit for quite a while in order to lose all that weight sustainably. So it happened and, you know, I got as lean as I really need to get for somebody like my size who doesn't like who does not interested in going into like an extreme deficit. I'm not prepping for a show. I don't really give a fuck about having a six pack abs. I like eating food. I like cooking food. I like having more of a flexible lifestyle. So I think, you know, going into a surplus was the right move. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I just got to challenge my mindset around it because it's like, fuck, you know, my mind is like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm starting to chill up, chill out and just kind of like sit in it a little bit more. But it's definitely a mind game. And I think I I honestly barely ever hear people talk about the mind game of being in a surplus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, and I totally agree with you because I like at a certain point in my life, I was going through that. I'm like, you know, a couple months into your surplus and then you're like looking a little bit fluffier, but you don't know if it's actually like extra fat or extra muscle. And you start to doubt yourself and you're like, Hey, should I go on this mini cut or not? And you're kind of like playing mind games with yourself. But it's like something to be said, like if you pick, like, just like you would with fat loss, you got to stay consistent with it. You got to like go, not necessarily like being like an all or nothing mindset, but you have to like be all in and dedicate yourself to that process mm-hmm. because it's just like the same with fat loss. If you, if you go into a deficit, you don't see like significant changes two months down the road. And you're like, should I give up? Like, is this even worth it? Meanwhile, if you kept going and then you actually see those progress changes and the reality is building muscle is so much slower than fat loss. So it's probably going to take two, three times the amount of time to actually see those changes in your measurements, in your progress pictures and all that versus like losing fat. You're going to see it like in, in a much shorter amount of time. Yeah. I mean, considerable changes in six, six to eight weeks with fat loss. And so, mm-hmm. you know, with building muscle, you're probably looking at more like six months, maybe, maybe longer before you see considerable mm-hmm. changes. But, uh, I'm excited, man. I, I've never really, um, just not given a fuck about, you know, like, Oh, I need to be super lean and, you know, I need to be shredded. Mm-hmm. It's just like, dude, you know, getting shredded has been a a mind fuck in itself and i've never gotten quote unquote shredded like it's just never happened and and the reason for that is like most of the time when i lost all this weight i was working in restaurants still i wasn't a full-time personal trainer 
So when you work in restaurants and you're a chef and you're constantly tasting food all day and you never really sit down for a meal, you never really like have that time to sit down and actually dedicate yourself to a meal. It makes that lifestyle really, really challenging. You're around all this hyper palatable, high fat, high carb foods, low protein, and you're just like surrounded by fucking French fries and, you know, all this bullshit all day. So you're going to give in and you're going to eat those foods. You're going to eat what's convenient, what you can snack on in between because you're fucking hungry. And so I did that for years and years and years, man. And like I'd be Mm -hmm. in a deficit, but it wouldn't be optimal. And I probably lost a lot of muscle mass just just dieting, dieting, dieting and never, never taking that time to actually be in a surplus, never Mm -hmm. doing it. So getting and you're also in like a very high stress environment too, right? Yeah, it's a high stress Mm -hmm. environment. And your schedule's crazy. And so, mm-hmm. you know, once I got out of that lifestyle, it was like fat loss was so much easier, dude. It was so much easier. And I cannot stress the environment changes that you have in your life enough. Like if somebody's trying to lose weight, they're trying to lose fat and their environment is not conducive, it makes things so much harder. And Something I was just watching a video on, um, this guy was basically saying like, yeah, environment, environmental control is really, really important when you're trying to make lifestyle changes. But there's something also to be said about people don't really talk about using discipline and using, using willpower. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get talked about. It's like this faux pas thing where you're like, no, willpower only lasts, you know, willpower is Mm -hmm. only so strong and eventually you're going to give in. Well, it's like, I don't know, man. I think think the narrative needs to be somewhere in between. We need to be able to build our willpower up and not completely rely on it 100%, have those environmental changes in place, have those structures in place, but at the same time, having some willpower and some discipline, being able to say no is a skill. It's a skill. And Mm -hmm. I think in this generation, coaches and people are so quick to say, oh, you should never say no. You should have things in moderation all the time. And I think there's 100% times that you should say no. 100%. There's times where you know, like, oh, I have 200 calories left over and I'm not hungry at all. But I've got these extra calories and I want to have a cookie. It's like sometimes having that cookie is the right answer. And then sometimes you got to fucking tell yourself like, no, I don't need those extra calories. Like I wasn't very consistent this week. Like why do, why do I need to spend those extra calories when I'm not even hungry? Like having some willpower I think is is really important. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. Like – um. I mean, whatever, like, whatever is worth, whatever it's worth, like, I think this, this generation has gone a little bit soft on that end. Like, mm-hmm. I totally don't agree that, like, you should, like, always put your foot down and have a lot of, like, use a lot of willpower and, like, be super disciplined about stuff. But, like, you sh- like, things have just swung so far into the other direction of, like, hey, it's okay, you know, um, like, all of these, like, I don't want to name, like, specific, eh, whatever, I'll, I'm just doing it. Like, like, you know, like, healthy at every size movement and, like, yeah. body positivity has swung so far into the other direction. Like, I understand and I do support the original intentions of these movements, but it has swung so far into the other direction. It's like, hey, you know, you should love your body as it is and blah, 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 and, like, accept yourself for, like, all these unhealthy habits that you are creating for yourself and you should, like, like be okay with doing all of these things, like even though they don't serve you in a healthy manner. So yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also like being overweight and having more body fat does put you at risk for health issues. So like yeah. as much as we want to say, Oh, healthy at every size, it's like, you know, it's, it's, just the science. The science says that if you are obese, if you are at a heavier body weight for somebody that should be at your size, then you are at much, much higher risk for health problems. So mm-hmm. it's it's just the way it is. And yeah, I think, you know, we have gone soft. And I remember when like everybody was 
gone the other way 100% in like early 2000s Mm -hmm. in the fitness industry. Everybody was like, no, no cheat days. Like, you know, and fucking you got to pack all your food in the Tupperware. Everything needs to be weighed out to the gram and, you know, no processed Mm -hmm. foods, only brown rice, no white rice. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. Everyone's like just like hardcore. (laughs) Dude, everyone was hardcore. And then now it's gone the complete opposite spectrum so the fitness Mm -hmm. industry is so polarizing and the world is so polarizing i think having compassion and all of that and empathy is is amazing and i think we can apply that but i also think that having compassion and empathy too sometimes is is realizing that you don't always need the fucking cupcake you know like you don't Mm -hmm. like i deserve this like no you fucking don't like you you don't yeah (laughs) Like, no, you don't like there's no there's absolutely no reason. And something this guy kind of said, too, is like in order to break these habits that he had with hyper palatable foods that he used to binge on, we always hear the environmental design. Don't have those foods in the house. Don't do this. Don't do that. This guy, what he actually did is he took the food that he binges on the most and he put it on his desk. So he had to look at it every single day while he was working. Mm-hmm. And he told himself, no, I'm not going to fucking have it. And he literally had to look at it every day. And he put a journal next to the food. So every time he thought about having the food, he would write it down and he'd write a journal. And he'd talk about like what was what he was dealing with and what was really going on. Was he bored? Was he stressed out? Was he future tripping? Did he have some imposter syndrome? So every single time what he realized is that every single time he was craving this food, there was actually something emotional going on with him. And he wrote it down and he let go of it. And eventually what happened is he took all the power out of that food by exposure therapy in a different way by just leaving it on his desk and journaling instead. So he replace that action of taking the hyper palatable food and consuming it with journaling and it basically solved his issue with that food now he has it in moderation and has no issues with it but i just thought it was a very interesting approach just because i had never heard of that before i always heard of the oh yeah i have it in moderation tracking in your calories and like i think there's something to be said about on paper like all these things sound good they sound great. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, have them in moderation and da da da. And you can, you know, you can fit it into your calories. You can design mm-hmm. your environment. Don't have them in the house. But those tips are not really practical. If you've ever actually tried to do these things yourself, mm-hmm. they don't usually work long term, right? Not yeah. having those foods in the house, it doesn't work long term. Eventually, you're going to be in an environment where those foods are and you're going to go fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so so you have to figure out different ways and it's different for everyone obviously but i i just thought it was interesting that he put the journal next to the food and put it right on his desk and just fucking did that for 30 days and eventually ended up taking all the power out of it yeah yeah i totally agree because um like when when we really think about it at this point when we first started on our journey and where we kind of just get off of this place where we are super unrestrained with everything you kind of have to pull back in order to find that point in moderation because if you've been in this area of like unrestrained like your entire life and that's all you know then how do you really know what moderation is and so you kind of have to pull back a little bit find that point of like i don't want to say like over restriction but kind of find that like point of like where you know that you're like over restraining a little bit and then then you're gonna find like that true point of moderation i forget where i first heard this quote but it was like in order to find like the point of balance you have to find moments of imbalance or something so like Mm. yeah so like really the only way you know where true balance is for you is if you kind of go to the go down these extremes of of imbalance like this, I'm not promoting that everyone do this, but like a lot of people who have gone through like eating disorders, they have gone through either, either the point of like pure, like no restraint. And then they just like went out, went in all out binges, or they kind of found that point of like over restriction where they restricted themselves so much. And then they literally destroy their body images and destroy their like relationship with food. And then it was through those processes, they understand, okay, these are kind of the two spectrums that I've gone through and like neither of them are healthy. So where in that between, can I find like a healthy balance for myself? Yeah. It's like, you need to go overboard 
with the restriction Mm -hmm. in order to figure out where is a healthy balance and that's different for everyone right it's yeah it's it's very subjective so we have to kind of go through those periods i'm actually grateful for my periods of like binging and having a shitty relationship with food because a i can relate to clients so much more because most of my clients have dealt with that and i think they find me because i talk about that stuff quite frequently and then another thing too is i know i know when like i'm on a consult call with a new client and she tells me about all the crazy diets she's tried and all the foods she's cut out and all of the restrictions that she's put in place. And I can even hear it in her voice that she wants to go back to that because she thinks for some reason in her head, she thinks that it worked. I had a call about this the other day and mm-hmm. she was doing some fucking crazy like yogi diet where pretty much you can't have anything processed and you can only have certain types of oils and, you know, only certain types of nuts and certain types of seeds. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you know what you need is the exact fucking opposite of that. Like you need mm-hmm. to figure out moderation and balance. And if that diet worked for you, wouldn't you still be doing it today? Like wouldn't mm-hmm. you feel like there was no off the wagon and on the wagon? You would just be able to stay on that diet forever if it worked, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. it didn't fucking work, obviously. So yeah. so yeah, I think – but I think there is some benefit to doing some form of extreme dieting and figuring out what works and what doesn't because yeah there's more and more research coming out as well that um that rapid fat loss there is a, a time and a place for it and um and as much as we like to promote the healthy slow sustainable rate of weight loss which most people should be doing um for for some people a rapid approach may be beneficial. It may get them motivated. It may help them see better results and it may shorten the amount of time that they have to be in a deficit in order to see those results. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. Um, I, I don't know if you saw this post, but I think it was by Lane Norton the other day. It's like, like, like in his experience of working with clients like 10 plus years and like what the research shows in terms of like psychology and mindset around fat loss and everything. He said the future of fat loss is probably doing these fat loss sprints. And so that's basically like you, you kind of like take these short and like really quick sprints of fat loss. You go pretty aggressive with it. Like let's say like four or six weeks and then you take a diet break for however much long you feel like you need it. And then you go on these sprints again. And then, yeah, just like you said, like obviously we, we all want, this like to do this stuff as fast as possible whether it's lose fat build muscle or whatever it's like there's yeah there's no way around it we all want this like instant gratification we all want to do things quickly Mm -hmm. and so this can help keep us motivated by satisfying this need but also doing it in a like safe and healthy way not to the point where like we build these poor relationships with food but like we have dedicated times where we can like really go hard and get and keep motivation high get in and out of this fat loss phase and then get these results quickly, which will ultimately help us help keep us motivated and then take these breaks. And then ultimately it will take, it will take probably the same amount of time I guess, in the long term, like versus if you were to go in a slow deficit for like six months, but like seeing these, these rapid results quickly, even though it take, does take the same amount of time, it's much more motivating for you to keep going. Yeah. And basically what you're saying and what Lane Norton's kind of implying as well is the overall time that it takes is probably going to be the same. It's probably because you're spending, you know, if you're doing like four week fat loss and then you're doing two week maintenance or whatever, it's like the amount of time that you overall to reach your goals is probably going to be similar than if you just stayed in that deficit and went slow and steady the entire time. But Mm -hmm. there is something to be said about like, changing up your program and going into something more aggressive that's motivating and then you take a week or two off it's more exciting for clients as well i've done this for Mm -hmm. clients i've put them into rapid fat loss phases for the first two weeks get them super motivated see some wins early on and then i'll put them at a much higher calorie range and then go slower from there and then we'll do little sprints of rapid fat loss if things start to stall out 
And I find that clients think this is exciting and fun. When in reality, like if I were to tell them, oh, yeah, we're going to be in a deficit and go very, very slowly for the next six to nine months, they'd be like, fuck, that's a long time. But if I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to go two weeks rapid fat loss and two weeks, I mean, there's client psychology behind that. And so, yeah, I think there's a time and place for that as well. But here's another thing, another side of that coin as well. If you are, if if you have a client and they're eating around maintenance to start out, and you're trying to find their deficit calories, and you start them out, and they're eating around maintenance, and they're inconsistent with even eating a a high number of calories, like let's say you give them twenty five hundred calories, let's say their maintenance is twenty five hundred. And you're looking at their data and they ate 2,500 calories three days and then four days they went over like 3,000. It's like putting that client into an even more aggressive deficit when they can't even, they're not even able to eat at maintenance is probably not the best idea because figuring out and addressing like why, why is this happening why are we going over calories so much? Why is there so much inconsistency here? That's kind of where I would start with with a new client who couldn't even be consistent at higher calories or maintenance because some people just, um, they look at those numbers and they're like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm starving. I want to eat more food. Or, you know, I have all these social events going on or weekends or I like to drink. Alcohol is a big one. I know you just made a post about mm-hmm. alcohol. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Alcohol is a big one as well. So I think having clients learn how to adhere and be consistent even at maintenance or in a surplus, uh, once they can do that consistently for a while, then we can talk about a more aggressive approach. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it's it's totally a, a riding that line of like um, – what you want versus what is realistic. Like obviously all of us, we, we want to lose the weight as quickly as possible, but it's like when we really put that into practice, what does that look like? It's like some people might be able to be like, you know, I'm all in for the next four weeks. I can stay totally dedicated to this and then we can take a break afterwards. But what, like you said, some people are like, you know, I have a lot of social events. I go out a lot and I, I don't know if I can hit these calories. And then of course, if you try and set those calories really low and then they find that, oh, I'm constantly eating a thousand calories over and it's just it just messes with their mindset and then they like don't have the self-esteem they don't have the self-efficacy to be able to do it and then they think well this isn't going to work because i I can't even hit these calories meanwhile if you set it a bit higher they start checking those boxes a little bit more it's a lot more motivating when they're hitting these goals and really like the uh, i'd say the uh, the bottom line is consistency rules above all like if they're able to stick to something that is going to be much more um, productive and yeah, it's going to be much more productive towards their goals because like the, the, the bottom line is if you're able to stick to something, you're going to be able to see the, the results that follow versus if you're not able to stick to something, cause you can have the best plan ever created in the world for you. But if you can't stick to it, then none of that matters. Right. And even if you're not, even if you're not actually in a deficit, but you're consistent, like you said, it's going to build that self-efficacy. And so the psychology behind just being consistent, even if you're not in a deficit yet, it's going to set your client up for success. It's going to set you up for success when you're like, oh yeah, I'm getting some wins under my belt. I'm consistent now. Then you can start to pull some calories from here or add in some cardio or whatever you want to do to create that deficit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I have some clients where I start them off. I'll like have them just start. I mean, it's just track everything. And then they find themselves, they like, they naturally kind of get into that deficit because then they start realizing it's like, wow, I'm adding so many calories here and there. And Mm -hmm. then they start kind of naturally getting to that deficit. And then sometimes I don't, I find that I don't even need to prescribe them calories. And then they'll just naturally kind of get into this deficit. They'll naturally eat healthier, make better choices. And yeah. That's like the dream client. You don't have to prescribe them <laughs> calories. Just They just naturally go into a deficit. They're like, I hired a coach. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in a deficit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then like this, this will probably go on for like the first couple months. And then obviously like once they get into the habit, once they like 
get into the groove of like, oh, I can do this tracking calories isn't that hard. Then you can start kind of like tapering it down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not like forever. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That's a good approach. I have a client right now who just started with me uh, this week. And she is, I don't have, I haven't given her a prescription for calories or protein at all. I just want to see what she's currently eating. She wasn't tracking before she's tra- She's had a history of tracking and she knows what to do. Um, so I'm having her send me food logs and just kind of seeing where her calories are at. And I purposely said like, Hey, I don't want you to try and eat perfectly this week. I don't want, I just want you to, I want this to be a normal week of eating for you. And then I want to see where her calories naturally fall into place and what seems doable for her. And then and then kind of start her somewhere close to there and like figure out an average. Like if she if she like so far she's doing really well, she's eating probably in a deficit. But if the weekends come and then it's like 2,500, 2,800 or there's no data at all, then I'm like, okay, I can – kind of average those days out and find a sustainable calorie target to start her out. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then for like, I guess any coaches listening, it's like, we always constantly preach that like, Hey, all of our metabolisms are different. Like you should not be using like a TDE calculator. Mm -hmm. Like, like you should use it as a good starting point, but then you're, you have to figure it out along the way. Yet we see so many coaches still like, Hey, I'm going to start you off by my own TDE calculator when that makes no fucking sense at all. So like even just starting people out of maintenance, getting them to track, you can find that where their natural metabolism is, and then you can get a better idea of how to prescribe their calories afterwards versus like if you start out at like a random TDE calculator, then you're like, okay, I don't even know where this person's metabolism is at. And then we kind of have to put in that extra guesswork as we go on. Whereas if you like try to figure it out, from the beginning, then you can get a better idea. Then you can start adjusting things, like depending on the goals and like the rates and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And for whatever it's worth too, like some clients are going to come to you at claiming that they're eating 1200 calories or claiming that, uh, or that first week that you have them track, it's going to say like 1100, 1200, 1300. And so you're going to have to do some investigating and rep- and like, uh, play inspector gadgets try and figure out like okay what's where is this person dropping the ball if they're a 225 pound female and they're eating 1200 calories and their weight is not dropping there's something seriously wrong here <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> so and we've all had clients like this um and if you've been in the game long enough you've definitely had a few clients like this and I'd say the majority of time, probably 80% of the time, it's going to come down to tracking errors and just the fact that tracking calories is a skill and it's going to take some time for your client to figure out how to use a food scale, how to enter their data into a food tracking app and how to do things accurately and successfully. You know, you'll find that most people are using measuring cups and tablespoons and they're using weird entries in MyFitnessPal because in MyFitnessPal, there's a lot of like really inaccurate mm-hmm. entries in there. It can be really confusing for people, dude. And, um, yeah. you know, I just realized this over the last couple of years is like how many terrible entries there are in MyFitnessPal just for chicken breast. You're trying to put some chicken breast mm-hmm. in MyFitnessPal and the first entry is like completely off calorie wise Mm -hmm. so using the barcode scanner if you're buying like a pack of chicken breasts or if you're buying like frozen chicken breasts from the store using the barcode scanner using the raw weights versus the cooked weights all of that stuff is going to help tremendously in your accuracy and then working with our clients to make sure that you know they're they're getting close because it's never going to be 100 percent accurate but they're at least getting close and they at least understand what we expect of them as clients as far as getting accurate calorie tracking information. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, I actually just recorded a podcast. It's going to drop later this week, but it's basically like the five common calorie tracking mistakes. And yeah, I guess it's say in both of our experiences, like 99% of the time, it's not because you need to adjust your calories. It's because you're probably doing something wrong in the process of tracking calories. 
And that's not always to say like you're intentionally doing it to fool your coach and you're intentionally like doing it wrong and saying, I'm not in a calorie deficit. So calorie deficit doesn't work. It's because you're, you aren't aware of these like small little things of like weighing your food out, using the wrong item. Um, and yeah, I just found this out the other day. My, my client was like eating back his calories burn. I'm like, Hey, why isn't the, uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> calories in your my fitness pal why isn't it matching up on the calorie you said you're plugging in on our shared google sheets and it's like oh it's because um my fitness pal adds it back and so i've been eating those calories for, i'm like okay first off don't do that <laughs> and then i explained to him why and all that so yeah, there was an educational component to it but it's just yeah it, one, one of the most terrible things you can do is being consistent and staying with the process but realizing that you were doing something wrong along that process and you're yeah. kind of like self-sabotaging yourself. Yeah. I mean, and it's all a learning process. We, the thing about most of us coaches and trainers is like, we've all made these mistakes. So you don't have to, that's why you hire us. You don't hire us because, uh, we're adjusting your calories. We're checking in with you. We're writing your training programs. Like, you can figure all that stuff out on your own, right? But you're basically hiring us and paying for us for our expertise in all of the sometimes decades of years that we've spent making all of the mistakes so that you don't have to. <laughs> so I, th I kind of explain to my clients like that, like you're paying for all of the years of education and mistakes and training that I've gone through personally to help you basically shortcut your journey so that you don't have to make all these mistakes and and run into these roadblocks yourself you can basically take a fast pass to all of the bs cut through all of the bs all of the misinformation all of the the mistakes that most people make and hire a coach and you're going to save yourself a lot of money and a lot of time in the end by doing that and, and a lot of frustration by doing that because you're basically going to mitigate all of the and bypass all of those mistakes that you would have made on your own by having to learn all this shit. Most people don't have time to educate themselves for 10 to 20 hours on all of these topics based around training and nutrition. We do, right? Me and Austin, we literally do this for a living. We literally mm -hmm. educate ourselves around training and nutrition for the last however many years and coach taters as well can't leave him out but we all and we all share knowledge with each other so not only are we getting the knowledge that we've all learned from our mentors and the books that we've read and the podcasts and the youtube and articles that we've read and all of that we're basically sharing that same information with each other as well so if there's something that I need to know about hypertrophy and biomechanics that I don't personally know but Austin knows it I'm going to reach out to him if there's something that I need to know about, um, you know, nutrition for being a calorie surplus for a client and what to expect. You know, I can reach out to Coach Taters and, you know, they can reach out to me if they have a client who's dealing with digestion issues or, you know, they need some good recipes or they need to, you know, they have specifics that they want to know from me. And so we all have our own areas of expertise that we can reach out to each other. So it's like this shared circle of knowledge and experience. And so you also get that when you hire a coach as well. So it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um shit i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> but uh <laughs> but i swear this is not us just like trying to pitch coaching it's like no. literally anything else in your life it's either you pay it forward with time or money mm -hmm. so a lot of us um pay like we've paid like a lot of time like just dedicating to ourselves to learning the process of coaching to learning all these things about training and nutrition oh i remember what i was gonna say um like, like the reason why, like we get this coaching is because all, all of us, we enjoy doing this shit. So like, and, and like, I've had clients where like, I've kind I've had clients where they're like, Hey, I want to be invested into the education process. I want to learn all this stuff. I want to learn all the reasons why, behind why you're doing the things you do so that eventually I can do this on my own and I can kind of self coach myself. Whereas I've had other clients who's like, I don't care about all of this educational stuff. Like I do not want to figure it out. Just tell me what to do. And then, yeah, so I can save time. And then like, that's why I'm paying you. So like, I can just follow the plan and get the results where some mm -hmm. people just want to learn this stuff. So it's either you pay it forward with time or money. Yeah, the majority yeah. of people don't, they don't care. They don't want to be mm -hmm. educated around all this stuff, right? Like they may want to be educated on the, the basics. But it, what you'll find is that like, if you can explain things with nutrition or training, as you would to like a fifth grader, you'll find that 
most people will be like, whoa, I never knew that. Or like, uh -huh. I, I've never had anybody explain it like that, right? And what you'll find is that just because we're trainers and coaches, sometimes we take all the knowledge that we have for granted and we don't realize that most people don't know that, okay, here's one for example, right? I made a video where I put my bowl that I was going to put my food into on the scale and then I turned it on. So that basically the scale teared out the bowl and and the amount of comments I got on that video that said you didn't tear out the bowl. So basically 99% of people that watch that video don't don't know that if you put the bowl on the scale first and then you turn it on, it automatically tears <laughs> it for you. Now, to me in Austin, that's hilarious because it's so fucking obvious to us. We've been using food scales for so long, but the majority of people don't know that. And I had no idea that the majority of people don't know that. But that's just a simple thing that like, okay, cool. You didn't know that? I just saved you three seconds every time you turn on your food scale. Now, now that over time is going to save you hours of time <laughs> just those little three mm -hmm. seconds that it takes to put the bowl on the food scale and then turn it on and then tear it now you don't have to do that you just saved you three seconds you're welcome mm -hmm. yeah and then that <laughs> actually brought something <laughs> that actually brought something to my head like for a lot of people like they don't look at calories they don't look at the nutrition la labels like honestly like let's be honest we we all know it's there but like before you get into the process of tracking calories before you understand energy balance it's just another label that you think like it's on the box you just like look at the thing you want to buy and then you eat until you feel full. And then that that's pretty much it for that. That's what a lot of people do. And so like, I, I know that sometimes I do get weird looks because I'll like go through the grocery. I'll, I'll like actually take a second to look at the label and then I'll get like weird looks. Whereas people like a lot of people will just go, Hey, I need this. I need this. And then they'll just grab it and put it in their cart. Yeah. They're not looking at the macros and trying to figure out if something is macro friendly. And I think that's, I think this is an important topic as well, like what makes something macro friendly and maybe we can dive into that um, for next week because I know Coach Taters will be here and he's big on tracking macros and I think what makes something macro friendly is would be a great podcast episode. So we'll talk about that next week. But I think like going through the grocery store, looking at things, figuring out if something's macro friendly that is very, very beneficial, especially if you're in a deficit or a surplus. Like it doesn't matter because if you're in a surplus, you want to mitigate the amount of dietary fat that you're eating. It's going to be really easy to overdo it on the dietary fat. And if you're in a deficit, you you still want to get a good majority of your calories coming from carbohydrates and protein and then try to mitigate fat as well because like the more carbs you have, the better your training is going to be in a deficit. And also carbs, I, I believe, uh, can be also sparing, sparing uh, muscle tissue as well. So, so yeah, that's they both help. Obviously, protein is going to be the main driver of whether you're losing uh, fat or losing muscle. But, um, but making sure that your strength training and carbs are going to help you not feel so depleted glycogen-wise when you're in the gym training. So, yeah, looking at macros is important, especially if you buy like more processed pre prepackaged foods, because um, not everybody has the time or the energy to cook all week. So yeah, figuring out what things are macro friendly. Yeah, yeah, and then I think the term like um like if it fits your macros, it's a pretty relatively new term. Like you wouldn't know like that term unless you've been in kind of the fitness industry and you've really been in like the trenches for like five ten years. Like mm -hmm. I think it's only it came out in like the like the 2000 like the early 2000s or something yeah, yeah. Like in like the bodybuilding.com forums or something yeah but yeah it, it we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the in the next podcast but it's just basically like like choosing foods that kind of fit into your macronutrient targets fit into your calories and all that and then obviously there's that like versus choosing like healthier foods like should you do it just for the sake of fitting in your macros or should you like also eat healthy and yeah we'll talk about that more in the in the other podcast but that's basically kind of a teaser for it if you will but cool. yeah macros are but yeah macros are super important to like pay attention to and also like the quality of your foods and all that yeah and if somebody's a beginner you know tracking calories and protein totally fine um but when you start getting into 
a little bit more intermediate advanced levels, which we kind of created this podcast for the intermediate advanced lifters. So, you know, we thought it'd be cool because, you know, me and Austin, we both have podcasts that are for fitness beginners. And um, at least at the, is yours for, for fitness beginners? Mine's like for people who are pretty new to all this stuff. So I don't, I'm, I know that you, you have a lot of beginner topics on there, but yeah. 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 I do have a lot of beginner topics. Um, so I basically like, I just kind of talk about what I want to talk about and then, but nice. for the most part, it's a lot of beginner stuff. Um, a lot of basic stuff like, you know, like motivation reminders, like, um, stuff about like basic nutrition and training topics. Although I do have like a few of them that kind of go a bit more into depth into like, like, uh, biomechanics or like, just like better exercises or like resistance profiles. I have one on that. That's a bit more of an advanced topic. But yeah, it's just basically for the most part what I like to talk about. And then I do kind of like to talk about that like in between like beginner to intermediate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's – yeah, you know, that's like the – um when you start getting into learning about like how to build muscle, um, how to like program design, like how to create your own training program so that you don't always have to um, – so that you know whether like the program that you're choosing – whether it's somebody else's program or your own program is actually going to help you get to your goals and how to measure your progress in the gym, how to make sure you're making gains, how to make sure your nutrition supports those gains. Like these are all topics that we're going to get into, you know, in this podcast. And so we definitely want to encourage people who are beginners to fitness to still tune in because we're still going to break things down to a level to where most people can understand them and hopefully um, apply them to their fitness journey. But if you're brand new to lifting and a lot of these subjects or topics go over your head, that's totally cool too. Um, me, Austin, and Andy are all very active on Instagram and social media. So you guys can always DM us any questions you have. And who knows, we might answer it live here on the podcast if it's a good question. And we feel like we want to dive deeper into those questions. But we'll pretty much answer any questions that anybody has um, in the DMs or on the podcast just to let anybody listening know that we are real people. We're not like quote-unquote influencers. Uh, (laughs) We're just (laughs) fucking personal trainers who want to help people and who are passionate about this shit. So, um, So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 totally agree. Yeah. yeah and i think if anything's to be said like we we all i i can confidently say that we all are good coaches and we all have the skill of being able to take very complex subjects and be able to break them down break them down into very simple terms into to cater like to different audiences as well because like for like let's say an intermediate intermediate to a mass lifter they have a higher level of understanding so we want to communicate to them in a specific type of language so that they understand but it also doesn't feel like you're really dumbing it down and you don't really you're not treating them like a five-year-old versus Mm -hmm. someone who's just getting into this thing they might like all the all this like other jargon might go over their head so they need a bit more like basic and simple terms to understand sure so yeah yeah and then um for like coaches like who will like i i really dislike coaches who like kind of like talk above other people's heads they use a bunch of like jargon and then they say hey if you don't understand like you know go learn this shit and then come back later or whatever yeah it's like people are gatekeeping knowledge it's like dude we're all trying to learn don't use Mm -hmm. don't use some study to like uh some study that you know you know nobody's gonna actually know how to read to like dispute an argument or something i see that shit on social media all the time oh yeah like they'll pick a study just for the sake of saying hey it's supported by whatever at yeah and then it's like and then you have people who actually not interpret studies yeah like wait a minute what the fuck this like this study does not say that (laughs) yeah or i had somebody do this in my comment section on tiktok they were like they were like, yeah, you don't need to be in a calorie deficit or you don't need to be in a calorie deficit. You just need to control your your carbohydrate intake. And I was like, because hmm. insulin or whatever. I was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Can you show me the research? They literally sent me a link to an article where the the abstract basically said that the group that was lower carb, there was a lower carb and a higher carb group. The group that was lower carb 
lost more weight on average in three months, but over the year-long period, <laughs> the results were the mm -hmm. same. So I, yeah. so I basically was like, okay, so they lost weight from glycogen, from muscle glycogen? Mm -hmm. Big fucking deal. That doesn't mean that they lost fat. And so – yeah. And I, I said that to the guy. I was like, okay, but over the year-long period, there were no there were no differences between the low carb group and the high carb group. So what's your like? What's your point? And he's like, it doesn't matter. The three month group still lost weight. You're wrong. Just admit it. And I was like, dude, are you are you 13 years old? Like, tell me you're 13 yeah. years old without telling me you're 13 years old. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's like people like that, like when they when they say shit like that, like, I'm going to make a separate video. Like, I know this is like, not productive. But I'm gonna make a separate video and highlight it and show it to you. Because because <laughs> you need to learn how to read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then for like, for whatever it's worth, um, I think Jordan side has said this, like, when you like reply to those comments, people like people like that, they they won't change their minds. Mm -hmm. But you don't do it for that single person. You do it for everyone else that's watching. It's yeah. like, yeah, the majority of people aren't polarized. The majority of people are kind of in that middle ground. Like they are able to be convinced. And if you do show them that you're going to take the work and time to actually like, hey, here's the actual truth. And then a lot of people say this, but it's complete bullshit. And here's exactly why. Right. And do your best to not call them a fucking idiot, even though they are. Um, yeah, even, <laughs> even though as much as I want to. Uh, be, and the reason for that is, is that other people and potential clients will see you mm -hmm. getting emotional over something or just being rude and they'll be like, Hey, this guy's not that nice. I don't know if I want to hire him as a coach. Right. So just think about that stuff. Like, yeah, even though we want to say, dude, you're a fucking idiot. Like learn how to read the research. Um, you know, we want, we want other people to realize that we are approachable. We're kind, genuine people. And, uh, you know, I don't want to come off as an asshole on social media, even though, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get upset when people are in the comments being, being rude and being like, um, you know, keyboard warriors, it's easy to stoop to their level, but the more we can refrain and sometimes just block people like, you know, blocking people as, mm -hmm improved my mental health with social media <laughs> especially mm -hmm. when a video goes viral for the wrong reasons and i just get roasted in the comments like just blocking people who say like uh like you know they're making fun of me or some shit it's like come on don't make fun of me mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah for the most part i'm like i'm really nice about it but like if someone like you can you can kind of tell these people like when if they go out of the way to be an asshole yeah. And there's like you okay there's no point like i'm trying to be civil and have a good open conversation about this and then they're just being a real asshole about it then it's like okay. yeah or people being assholes to other people in my comment section i've noticed that too where like somebody will say like on the video where i where i teared out the cup on the food scale and there's hundreds of comments about people saying you didn't tear out the measuring cup um even though i did Mm -hmm. there's people calling those people morons and idiots and those kinds of i don't want that kind of talk in my comment section at all i don't even though it drives engagement and the video will keep getting views and sh i don't care about that I, I don't want people getting bullied in the comment section like that's not my style and those aren't my people if you're bullying people on social media like you're fucking lame and i don't want anything to do with you so yeah those are not the people that I want on my page or commenting on my stuff at all. I want people to think it's like a safe environment to ask questions and to learn and to get the help they need or help others. And so I want a positive, encouraging uh, environment on my pages on all my platforms. So, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 What actually, I, I kind of want to know your thoughts about this. Like, what it, what are your thoughts on like being a creator on social media? Because uh, I know a lot of people who like don't post frequently. They don't see kind of this like other side. Meanwhile, like we're constantly on these platforms, so we see mm -hmm. a lot of like shit that goes on. Yeah, um, dude, there's that whole like Ryan Reed thing. We can kind of touch on that for a minute. <laughs> oh, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet you didn't think it was gonna go there. So, 
Okay, so yeah. for those of you who are listening, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but like that there was a fitness coach on TikTok, a creator, a content creator, who his name's Ryan Reed. And he basically made a he wasn't going viral, is what he said. He was frustrated that his videos weren't getting traction. So what he did is he made a video of his dick print with an erect penis on some short shorts and basically was like, I need to go viral. And he posted that on his TikTok and it got a bunch of views and it went viral like he wanted it to. And, uh, and he got a lot of hate for this video and things started surfacing about this guy being kind of abusive, um, being like a lot of sexual harassment with his previous clients. He's an in-person trainer. He's a pretty big on social media. He's got 1.2 million followers on TikTok and several hundred thousand on Instagram. And Mm -hmm. pretty much just more and more people started coming forward saying how this guy has violated them in some ways or has acted inappropriately towards them or he's sent creepy messages or um, basically harassing others. And so other fitness TikTok creators have spoken up about this and are kind of putting their foot down because this is absolutely inappropriate behavior for a fitness coach who works mainly with women to be treating his clients and uh, and people he works with like basically like sexual objects. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, abusing his position of power to like harass and like cross boundaries with these women. And so yeah, it, it's like it's terrible. Like mainly because his job is a fitness coach, and this really makes our profession look bad. And like. Mm-hmm. Like I have not there. I have nothing against this. If he was doing an OnlyFans or whatever, he wanted to do this type of stuff. Like that is that has a specific type of audience that is geared towards specific people. But when you abuse your platform of over a million followers who mainly follow you for fitness content, that's the main reason why they click that follow button. That's the mm-hmm. reason why they like your content, and you're using that to push this other stuff and give people unsolicited like access to your private parts. That that is just. <laughs> okay but and little kids man like let's yeah who's mostly mostly Mm -hmm. on tiktok right like 13 year olds teenagers bro and like that's that's the fucked up part is that there were teenagers watching that video and teenagers even commented on that video and said i'm 16 so that's Mm -hmm. fucking creepy vibes bro Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah but uh well, I mean, what I can say is he he finally got the attention he wanted, I suppose. And, you know, <laughs> hopefully, like, someone takes, like, action on this and he, like, he faces some, like, serious repercussions for this because it is unacceptable. Yeah, man. And and TikTok didn't ban his account. They didn't take the video down. I don't know if he probably took the video down, but I know he privated his TikTok account. And, mm-hmm. uh, but faced no repercussions from TikTok for this. Yeah. And... It's crazy, man. It's crazy that me and you both have a platform on TikTok. We both have a little bit of a following and we both go there and create content regularly. And so mm-hmm. we're part of the community, the fitness community on TikTok because there's like even though there's a shit ton of people on that app, there's not a lot of like quality fitness coaches on that app. So, you know, if you are a fitness coach and you create good content evidence-based content fitness content you you have the ability to do very well on tiktok and so me and austin we started you know creating platforms on tiktok building following so we're part of like the fitness community on tiktok where we know other coaches and you know so when this shit happens we'll get tagged in the videos you know like i was tagged in beth uh beth Ferrico's video and, you know, Adam Wright Fitness made a video about it that went pretty viral as well. You know, Matt Dallaire made a video about it. And, you know, just other bigger names on TikTok made videos kind of calling him out. And, I, like, I respect and appreciate other coaches for calling this bullshit out. Because even mm-hmm. so he so he Lee, so he fit uh, called him out as well. So pretty cool to see other coaches stand up who have morals and ethics and kind of, like, be like dude this is not this is not what we want to be a part of mm-hmm. yeah and it's definitely like it actually sheds some light because like 
uh, yeah, if you really want to go down this road, like a lot of people who oh, who are kind of like victims or face this thing, like they don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gets brushed under the rug. And like more and more evidence is coming out. Like this, this dude has been doing this since like 2018, 2019. So it, yeah. this goes like a few years back. So he's been doing this and has been getting away with it for a long ass time. So like just thinking about like all the women he's like taking, he's has taken advantage of over the course of like the past like several years so yeah yeah so don't be an alpha chad trainer from scottsdale arizona pretty much bottom line mm-hmm. it's not the move yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't even know like you have to be sick in the fucking head to like think like that's the next course i like there have been times where like engagement has been down for me but i would have never <laughs> thought to be like you know, I'm just going to put a picture of my fucking peeing on the internet. <laughs> Bro, for real. <laughs> like, what? like, dude, I'm a fucking fitness coach. Like, oh, yeah. man. He's got to be so fucking, like, head up his ass or just, like, on drugs or fucking smoking DMT or some shit. Like, what the fuck is he doing, bro? God damn. Yeah. He's just got to be on drugs. He's got to be on drugs. And there was some shit about him being on drugs and shit. So makes sense, you know. Um, but people are fucking crazy, man. Social media is nuts. Um, but that's our tea. That's our tea talk. Me and Austin's tea talk. Maybe we'll do another tea mm. talk in the yeah. future. where we- <laughs> <laughs> Coach Tater. Coach Tater's always gives us shit for being about that drama and gossip. Me and Austin are like, hell yeah, yeah. Dude, let's fucking yeah, dude. Get I it. mean, hey, dude, it's it's human nature to love conflict and love gossip. Like, yeah. let's be honest here. So yeah, so yeah, if you made it this far into the podcast, the, this is your little reward. We get we talk about uh, we spill the tea a little bit on tea talk. all right bro uh we're gonna get out of here we'll see you guys next week where we will be talking about um macros and what makes something macro friendly with coach taters will be back in the house and uh yeah appreciate you uh you can follow me on jeff pacman fitness on instagram and austin where can they find you you can find me on austin chan fitness a-u-s-t-i-n-c-h-a-n and yeah thank you guys for listening peace out All right, see you guys.